This is my friend Greg. And Greg's going to help me out with the introduction this morning. Greg has been a Christian for most of his adult life. And he's part of something, one of our main ministries here at Ellerslie, called Freedom Session. And he's worked hard at enjoying and creating that freedom in his own life. And there's nothing holding him back. He can walk around confidently knowing that he has freedom in who Jesus is and who Jesus has created him to be and enjoying that powerfully. But that hasn't always been the case. We're not going to get into specifics about Greg's life, but there's bungee cords that are regularly holding us back. For some of us, those bungee cords might be based on relationships we've had. We believe in the lies that we've been told over the years, whether we were young kids or even in more recent years. We take these lies and we turn them into vows that we make to ourselves that actually prevent us from enjoying the freedom Jesus has in store for us. There's spiritual bungee cords in which we don't deal with the forgiveness that we should, and it creates this bitterness and this anxiety within us. There's emotional bungee cords, whether it's the way we feel about other people, whether it's what's taking place in our own lives, and these bungee cords start to hold us back. We don't always know what's happening, and when life is going on, sometimes life is just fine, until suddenly we realize, how come I'm always pushed over, passed over for that promotion at work? How come I can't have the relationship I desire with my significant other or even start a relationship? How come I can't ever seem to get out of debt? And these bungee cords continue to prevent us from enjoying the freedom that we have. Jesus, in inviting us to find out him as our true leader, is saying, allow me to remove these bungee cords. Allow me to deal with your soul and the challenges so that we can too enjoy freedom. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Greg, thank you for working with me. I, uh, I broke one of these bungee cords this past week. I was really hoping that wouldn't happen again during that uh, opening introduction. There are so many things that are taking place in this idea of leading me. We talked a couple weeks ago about Jesus as our shepherd and recognizing what that means as he protects us, he watches over us, he provides for us regularly. Last week, Pastor Mel talked about the importance of relationships when it comes to having a, a growing and leading me and working with the God who's at work with us. I loved what Pastor Mel said, and he talked about how Jesus is our great shepherd, but we continually work with under-shepherds. We work with our friends, with our family members who continue to provide with us, to encourage us, to challenge us to lovingly rebuke us, to shepherd us. Wherever we are in our spiritual journey, we need these people in our lives because most of us, if not that are holding us back, bungee cords that impact us in our lives in ways that we might not even realize they're impacting us. And to move forward, we have to move forward in the sense of faith. Do we believe that God can actually take away these bungee cords? Do we believe that God can take them away and, and heal us from the hurts that we have experienced as a kid in our adult life, the unforgiveness that might be making bitterness take place in our hearts? Do we believe God will unhook these bungee cords and allow us to have freedom so that we can live in a life that glorifies God and brings joy to him wherever we go? It takes faith for that to happen to believe God can and wants to change our lives. There's this beautiful chapter about faith in Hebrews chapter 11. The author talks about a number of people in the Bible who do amazing things for God. He talks about Noah, who didn't see a cloud in the sky and yet started building a boat. He talks about Abraham and the promise that he had and how he had to go into a brand new place, not knowing what would take 
place, but knowing that God would help him there. He talks about Moses, who leads the entire nation of Israel out of captivity from Egypt and into the promised land. Story after story about amazing men and women doing incredible things because of the faith they have in God. I love how it wraps up. This is 11 verses 32 and following. What more shall I say? Listen to this cadence. I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak, Samson and Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, others chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts, in mountains, in caves, and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us could they be made perfect. It's powerful, isn't it? And then God turns his attention to the readers of Hebrews. Then God turns his attention to us and says these powerful words in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. These men and women before us, had incredible faith. There were certainly obstacles. Abraham had to leave his family, had to leave his inheritance, and travel to a place he had never been before. Jacob was sold into slavery by his brothers. Moses led a nation of people who were constantly grumbling. Hannah was mocked by other women for being barren. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. And yet they had faith that God was going to do something incredible. My friends, what's holding you back from your full potential? There are dozens and dozens of answers to that question, so rather than trying to cover every possible option, we're gonna break it down into three. We're going to talk about the relational bungee cords that hold us back. We're gonna talk about the spiritual bungee cords that hold us back, and we're gonna talk about the emotional bungee cords that hold us back, and thankfully, we're given a case study in the scriptures. And so while our passage is rooted in Hebrews, we're also going to be looking at Israel's first king. And this is how we're introduced to Saul. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing whose, na whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bacorah, the son of Aphia of Benjamin. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. This is the type of king we're looking for, isn't it? A man who comes from good family's heritage. A man who's tall, probably good looking. A man whose family is well thought of. A man who was unequaled among his peers. And so the story begins. Saul and one of his servants are out on the countryside looking for a lost donkey. 
And after a number of days, uh, Saul says to his servant, you know what, let's just give up. We can't find these donkeys. Dad is going to start worrying about us rather than the livestock we've lost. Let's just go home. And the servant says to Saul, did you know that there's a town just up ahead? And in that town is a prophet of God, a man who is widely respected, a man who has insight with God that most other people don't have. Let's go talk to him as kind of a last resort. Maybe he'll be able to tell us where those donkeys are. And so Saul thinks, you know what? That's only one extra day. There's nothing to lose. And so he walks into the town, he asks for this prophet, and he finds out that he is talking to him. But rather than introducing himself, this prophet whose name is Samuel says to Saul, I am the prophet you're looking for. Don't worry. Your father's donkeys have already been found, but there is a greater journey ahead of you. God has decided that you would lead the people of Israel. Listen to Saul's response in 921. But, but am I not a Benjamite? from the smallest tribe of Israel, and is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why would you say such a thing to me? There's a relational bungee cord holding Saul back. Saul believed a lie that at some point was passed on to him. If you look back at chapter 9, verse 1, it'll say that Saul's family was a good family. Saul's family was well-respected. And yet somehow Saul says, oh, but not me. I'm just a Benjamite. In my clan, the least of the tribe of Benjamin. Therefore, I amount to nothing and God can't use me. Is there a lie that you're believing in your life right now? I'm not smart enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not young enough. I don't have the experience. God can't use me. We have no idea how these lies we tell ourselves and the vows that come out of those lies impact us and hold us back from the potential that God has in store for us. We begin to develop this fixed mindset about ourselves, a mindset that is destructive, a mindset that is limited, a mindset that says you can't do anything more. Carol Dweck, a psychologist and author of the book Mindset, which is absolutely great if you'd like to pick it up, tells the story of how Garfield High was one of the worst academic schools in all of Los Angeles. To say the students were turned off and teachers burned out would have been an understatement. How many times do you think that poor area of LA, filled with mostly Hispanic students, were told lies about themselves? You're just an immigrant. Look what your father does for a living. Do you think you'll amount to anything? Have you seen the test scores coming out of this high school? You're not going to get into college. And so these lies keep compounding and they become a self-fulfilled prophecy. Students and educators, both themselves, are thinking, well, apparently nothing can work here. We'll just show up as an educator, we'll do our time, and hopefully we'll get into that good school across town. And then something interesting happened. The Scarfield High School in the poor part of L.A. brought in two Hispanic teachers, Mr. Escalante and Mr. Jimenez. And they came to the school and they said to themselves, we are not going to typecast these kids. Maybe the kids we're teaching are the most brilliant high school students in the country and they have untapped potential. And so rather than saying what's wrong with these kids, they said, how can we help these kids learn? How can we impact these kids in a powerful way so they can go out and change the world? Within a few years, Garfield High School, which was one of the worst schools in Los Angeles, became one of the top 
three schools in the United States competing with private schools in New York. These high school kids were gaining college credit in grade 11 and grade 12 because teachers transformed the way they thought. Back to Saul. You might be thinking, come on, Dave. Isn't that a little bit harsh? Saul is just an average guy. He's looking for a couple donkeys. And a prophet says, you will be the next king of Israel. Wouldn't the appropriate response be humility? Perhaps. But it doesn't just happen once. It happens over and over again. I love this quote by Steve Brown. If the scenario is the same and only the details are different, this could be a bungee. After Samuel anoints Saul at the beginning of chapter 10, this is what the prophet says to him. The spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power and you will prophesy with other prophets. You'll be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do for God is with you. The exact same thing happens just in the next couple of verses. A group of prophets is walking into town. Saul joins them. He finds himself prophesying himself. And then Saul stops as he enters into town to talk with his uncle. And his uncle said, I heard you spoke with Samuel. Tell me what he said to you. I don't know about you, but when I get good news, when I get big, exciting news, I want to share it with people. You know what Saul said? He assured us that our donkeys had been found. But he did not tell his uncle about the kingship. Within the span of one chapter, Saul's been told he will become the king of Israel, the first king of Israel. Immediately, his heart has changed. He starts prophesying. He has been given uh, an anointing from a prophet. And he says to his uncle, we found the donkeys. One more thing, and perhaps the most telling of all. In the next chapter, Samuel gathers all the tribes of Israel together. And out of all the tribes of Israel, he picks the tribe of Benjamin. And out of all the clans of Benjamin, he picks Saul's clan. Then out of all the clans of Saul's clan, he picks Saul's family. And then he says in front of all of Israel, behold, the next king of Israel. And nobody can find Saul. I'm not making this up. The Lord said to Samuel, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Pulling him out of a pile of luggage, Samuel then says, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all his people. And the people shout, long live the king. Is this the king that you want leading you? A king who is unable to even lead himself. And this is what's still fascinating. God continues to work with Saul. God does not give up on him. God changes his heart. God anoints him. He still makes him the first king of Israel. But it's as though he's saying, but Saul, you gotta deal with those bungee cords. God has a plan for every single one of us in this room and for everybody watching online. God is saying, if you believe in me, I too will fill you with, your spirit, with my spirit. I will change your heart. There are things I have planned for you to do. But unhook those bungee cords. If you're taking notes on your phone or tablet or on paper, 
Is there a lie that you believe that's holding you back? I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. My history prevents me from doing the things I really want to do. And those lies turn into vows. Well, because I'm not smart enough, I'll never challenge myself. Because I have a really promiscuous history, I guess I can never do anything good for God. If there's a lie or a vow, write it down. We'll come back to that later. Broken relationships, though, aren't the only thing that's holding Saul back. Sometimes there's spiritual bungee cords as well. Let's take another look at what that author of Hebrews says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sins that so easily entangle. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Clothing in the first century was full of togas, of tunics, of long robes. Not exactly ideal for running the 100-meter race. And what the author of Hebrews is saying here in chapter 12, verse 1, is that like these uh, Olympic athletes, who in the first century was a big deal and people flooded to watch the games, take off everything that is, pardon me, take off everything that is entangling. And if you're hearing that right, it's saying what it, you think it's saying. These athletes would run completely naked so that nothing would trip them up. Nothing would prevent them from reaching their maximum speed. Nothing would prevent them from accomplishing the goal that's been set in front of them. Probably doesn't surprise you that if Saul is found hiding in the baggage at his inauguration, that probably his kingship got off to a bit of a bumpy start. In chapter 11, he's confirmed as the first king of Israel. In chapter 12, Samuel says his farewell to everybody. And in chapter 13, Samuel already comes back to rebuke the king. There's uh, three major offices for the Israelites, prophet, priest, and king. The prophet brings God to the people, the priest brings the people to God, and the king brings the, God's rule and authority to all of his people. It's almost like there's a major and a minor. Most people have one, some people have two, but outside of Jesus, I don't believe in Scripture we read of anybody else having three of these offices. Saul is named the first king of Israel. That's his major. He is a prophet. That's his minor. But he is not a priest. The Israelites have entered into war with one of their greatest enemies, the Philistines. And across the area, the Philistines are lined up. There's 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and enemy as great as the sand in the seashore. Do you know what the Israelites are doing? They're hiding in caves and among bushes, thinking, Philistines, please don't attack us. And Saul is saying, just wait, Samuel's going to show up, and Samuel is going to help us understand what it is we're supposed to do. And the day passes. And another day passes. And a third day passes. And a week passes. And Saul thinks, well, forget this. Apparently Samuel isn't showing up. I will do the priestly duty of burning some sacrifices. And you know Murphy's Law. You can guess what happens next. The moment that sacrifice takes place, Samuel walks in and he says, Saul, what are you doing? 
But rather than repenting, Saul says, my army was scattering. You weren't showing up. Everybody was going to leave. The Philistines were going to conquer us. What on earth was I supposed to do? And his pride got in the way. A bungee cord so strong that it ripped the kingdom away from him. Chapter 13. You acted foolishly, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God has given you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Spiritual bungee cords come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes preventing us from reaching our full potential. For King Saul, his pride got in his way. Well, what else was I supposed to do, Samuel? If you had shown up, this wouldn't have been an issue. For some of us, those spiritual bungee cords are unforgiveness. It's a spiritual bungee cord of bitterness. I've heard it three times in the last six months, so I have to share it with you. Bitterness and unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. It's only going to eat you up from the inside. Is there unconfessed sin in your life? Are you keeping something from your spouse? Are you doing things at work you should not be doing? Are you looking at pornography and you haven't told anybody yet? We read in Proverbs 28, verse 13, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Is there something in your spiritual life that's a bungee cord holding you back from your full potential? Saul's relational bungee cord, his spiritual bungee cord were holding him back and it ended up costing him his kingdom and there was still no repentance. There was no turning back. He hadn't learned his lesson and that just created a third piece of baggage, an emotional bungee cord. Saul had someone in his life who cared about him so much that he came and lovingly rebuked him. Pastor Mel talked about this in his message last week. He came to him and said, Saul, you cannot act in this way. But rather than asking forgiveness and repenting, Saul just doubled down and said, what else am I supposed to do? You didn't show up. And maybe the most painful event of all, God rejected Saul as king but left him on the throne. I can't imagine how difficult that must have been. Saul knows the kingdom no longer belongs to him, but he sits on the throne, waiting, wondering, watching. How is this all going to end? And the man to replace Saul could not have been more different. Where Saul was tall, impressive, David was the youngest and a runt and easily passed over. While Saul didn't believe himself, David has great confidence in God. When Saul hid, when difficulty came, David stood up to lead the people of Israel. Where Saul was rejected as the king, David was anointed and became Israel's greatest king. Where Saul sat on the throne, David's name was praised among the people. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. 
You imagine Saul sitting with his psychologist and his psychologist saying to him, and Saul, tell me, how did you feel about that? We know. Saul was very angry, and the refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. How jealous, you ask? He tried to kill him with a spear twice and hunted him down. How about you? When you hop on social media and you see what your friends are doing, is there a jealousy that grows in you? They're going on another vacation? How do they do that? You took a picture of the meal you created? Who has time to cook like that? I saw a stunning family photo this past week on Facebook. It was just absolutely perfect. The husband and the wife, their noses were just perfectly touching. The little one-year-old daughter was sitting on their lap looking angelic. There was a field of green and yellow in the background, and the sun perfectly placed above their heads. And all I thought was, yeah, my kids pick their nose and eat it during our family pictures. Top that. What do we do with rapidly rising rates of mental health issues? especially in the areas of depression and anxiety. Studies both in Canada and in the United States say one out of every five people struggle with this every year. Where did these issues begin? When did I begin to feel this way? What triggers in me to respond the way that I do? Do I talk to my doctor, a psychologist, my pastor, all the above? Are there bungee cords that I don't even know that's holding us back? Therefore, says the author of Hebrews, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off all that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How, author of Hebrews, how do we do that? Fix your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I like what Mel said last week, and I hope I'm quoting him well. The first step in leading me is realizing it's not me leading me, but submitting to the leadership of Jesus. If you look at the tagline of this sermon series, working with the God who is at work in us. If you have Hebrews 12 verse 2 in front of you, the author, the perfecter of our faith, Jesus who defeated sin, who defeated death, who defeated the grave, defeated whatever is holding you back and is inviting you into experiencing life to the fullest, is inviting you to experience freedom. God is in the business of healing souls and he wants to unhook those bungee cords so you can experience what true freedom looks like. There's a well-known passage in the Old Testament that complements Hebrews 12 nicely. It's from Isaiah chapter 53. Surely he, God, took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. Yet we consider him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He unhooks our bungee cords. He forgives our past and he gives us hope for the future. He was pierced for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The word peace in Hebrew is shalom. And it has a deep and rich meaning. This isn't just peace in the sense of lack of stress, lack of worry, lack of anxiety. It's holistic. The idea of shalom is it gives peace to your whole mind, your soul, your body. This is what God has in store for us. Will you allow him to unhook those bungee cords and give you the freedom that you're looking for? If you're like me, you're sitting there going, Dave, that's great. How? How does this happen? I'll wrap up this message with a story. About a year ago, I started a course uh, on executive leadership. And they started um, us doing a whole bunch of reading and paperwork and Zoom meetings before Zoom meetings were cool. And eventually we were all going to travel and be on site somewhere in North America together. The first experience that first week was all about leading me. It's where I got the idea for this sermon series. We received world-class teaching. We filled out personality profiles. We were assigned mentors. We did 360-degree reviews, the works. The most impactful day for me for that time when I was down in Phoenix was an entire day built around storyboarding our personal story. We were given a large piece of poster board and given four different colors of sticky tabs. And we were told, take time and take these sticky tabs and write down major life experiences, people in your life, events that have taken place, anything that comes to mind over the course of your life and plot them out on this piece of, of board. And so you would write things down and you would paste it. And after about 20 or 30 minutes, the person who was leading us through this exercise said, now grab the pink sticky tabs. Any of the items you wrote down that were difficult, that were hard, that you don't really like thinking of, cover the ones in yellow and put them in red. So you spend some time doing that and you realize, well, there's a lot of yellow, there's a lot of red on this board. Then they said, take a look at everything that's taken place. What are the themes that are coming out in your life? What are the lies that you're believing? What are the vows you've made? What are the wonderful impacts people have done in your life and how has that taken place? Write them all down, put that on a green sticky tab. Now spend some time reflecting. What are the bungee cords that are holding you back? That was throughout the course of a morning. There was certainly a lot of teaching spaced in that. In the afternoon, we went to a different place. We went to the chapel that was on site in the place we were staying. And there was different stations set up. There were stations to write letters to the person who hurt you, that you could burn, to the person that helped you, that you could send. There were men who sat there who acted as dads who said, allow me to read a father blessing over you. There were women who were there who were acting as moms who said, let me read a motherly blessing over you. There were people there who said, let's pray and talk about the challenges that you're facing. And while a public setting like this isn't the right place for me to go into deep detail, there was a lie that I believed 
a lie that I've shared with Pastor Mel, a lie that a couple of you know about, and it was preventing me from being the leader that I wanted to be. And it's a lie that was so ingrained that if you talk to Mel or talk to my wife, Jenna, they would say he thinks that's just part of who he is, and it's not. It prevented me from experiencing the freedom that God had in store for me. And over the course of that week being prayed for, meeting with my mentor on two or three different occasions, I came home and my wife, who had only missed me for five days, said, Dave, your countenance is different. You look different. You sound different. Something is different. Brothers and sisters, this is not easy. There were tears involved. There was pain involved. It is a difficult journey, and it is absolutely worth it. And so if you're sitting there and on your phone or on your tablet or on a piece of paper in front of you, you're looking at a lie you believe. You're looking at a vow that you've made. You're thinking about an unconfessed sin in your life. You're thinking about the anxiety that you're feeling. You're going, Dave, what do I do with this? Ask somebody out for coffee or for a meal or a Zoom meeting. If you take them out for coffee or a meal, offer to pick up the tab and say, I just need to talk to you about my story. And I need to help to know how to overcome this. Because there's things that are holding me back. And I believe with all my heart and with all my mind that if I work with the God who is at work in me, if I work with the God who wants to see me untangled, who wants to see the sin fall away, who has great things in store for me, who is the author and the perfecter of my faith, I believe I'm able to walk in freedom. And I believe, good friend, mentor, pastor, small group leader, I believe that if I share this story and bring it out into the open, you can help me unhook these bungee cords because Jesus wants you to live in freedom. Amen? The bungee cords have been broken. The author and the perfecter of our faith is at work in you. Freedom awaits. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the author of Hebrews. Thank you for the incredible chapter 11 and seeing the lives of men and women who have deep faith in you. And thank you for the start of Hebrews 12, calling us to release these burdens to unhook these bungee cords and recognizing that your son, Jesus Christ, is at work in us, leading us, perfecting us so that we might live in freedom. God, may we have the strength to do this and the encouragement to help our friends along. Pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.